Your Steve Jones Show podcast is loading now. The Steve Jones Show podcast is sponsored by Sunbury Motors, North 4th Street in Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. Sports Talk, where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now, from the Sunbury Motors Studio, here's Steve Jones. Back into the Steve Jones Show, News Radio 1070 WKOK. You can find us at stevejonesshow.com. Like us on Facebook. Follow us on Twitter at Steve Jones PSU. And don't forget our shows are available as a podcast. After we go live, we drop them on Google Play and iTunes and the Apple Podcast app. If you listen to us on iTunes, uh, don't hesitate to leave us a review. Check out all the great interviews that we are replaying this week that we've had on over the past year since uh, Steve is enjoying a very well-deserved vacation. Steve's back with us next Tuesday from the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors Ford Lincoln Hyundai in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors Kia on the Strip, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. This hour on the Steve Jones Show, we will replay interviews from... Earlier this year, we had a chance to speak with Peter King from TheMMQB.com and Sports Illustrated prior to the Super Bowl. And then later on, to finish out the show, Phil Bork, the old two-nighter from the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network, who uh, does the games alongside Hockey Hall of Famer Mike Lang. So we'll get a chance to speak with Phil. and had a chance to uh, do that just a couple of days after the Pittsburgh Penguins claimed their second consecutive Stanley Cup championship. All right, Peter King on deck in just a few moments. First off, our play-by-play call of the day. Mets with some baseball history last night. The 0-2, Reyes runs, pitch taken inside, throw to second, the slide, tape at second base. The tag of Aswahe a little bit late, and Torrens could not get the throw there in time. Jose Reyes has his 500th Major League stolen base. He's got a big smile on his face. He's hearing it. From his teammates in the Mets dugout, he is the 39th player in Major League history to get to 500 career stolen bases. Howie Rose on WOR last night, Jose Reyes with his 500th stolen base of his career. Mets went on to win that game last night over the Padres by a score of 5-3. to three. Earlier this year, late January, prior to the Super Bowl between New England and the Atlanta Falcons, we had the wonderful opportunity to have on the show Sports Illustrated and the MMQB's Peter King. When certain people write things, you want to read it. When they say something, you want to listen to it. One of those people for me has always been Peter King. And before we get to anything else, Peter, to Laura and Kim as parents, and to you and Ann as grandparents, congratulations on Freddie King coming into the world. Hey, Steve, so nice of you. I really, really appreciate that. And it's great, great to be on with you. Uh, You know, I've... Obviously, in our business, I've uh, 
been on the campus over there uh, quite a few times over the years, and uh, you know I've heard you, and uh, I really admire your work. So thanks for having me. Yeah, I appreciate that very much. That's awfully nice of you to say. I want to talk with Ben Roethlisberger first. He comes yep. out, he says what he says, and we know here's a guy that's been sacked 505 times, uh, you know, Philip Rivers 383. That's a big difference between one and two since 2004. But what was your interpretation of the message maybe he was trying to send to management or someone in that organization? Yeah, I think really you could tell. I mean, Roethlisberger isn't often uh, – Roethlisberger is pretty benign as many – players are after games and i think he was uh to hear him after the kansas city game talk about antonio brown in a negative light uh after this loss against new england to again talk about uh the picture uh, kind of negatively and then uh you know on tuesday even going farther and saying he's not sure he's coming back that that says to me that because first of all Look, I went to Pittsburgh in, I don't know, maybe late October. I did my podcast with Roethlisberger in mid-season this year, and um, I, I never forget, I, I, I asked him about his future, and he said, look, I'm going to play as long as the good Lord and Mr. Rooney are willing. And so you don't go from that to two months later, you know, being in the second round of the playoffs, being you know third round, being in the AFC Championship game, <laughs> and being so disappointed in that that you talk about retiring, I because I, I, I just simply don't believe that he's got any intention to retire. I think what he was doing is he was saying Antonio Brown grow up, uh, Mike Tomlin get a hold of this thing, and Todd Haley. Uh, let's let's uh, either call better plays or get better personnel on the field. Wh whatever. I, I just think he's I think he's a little bit disillusioned with the way the thing is being run right now. And so I would expect he's going to have conversations with with all those people, with the Roonies, uh, with Mike Tomlin. Uh, you know, because I think that I think that he, he, he you know he bears his own responsibility in this, Steve. But I think the last thing you want is to have words like that from your quarterback sort of hanging over the offseason. Exactly. Now, one of the responsibilities that you'll have next week is the Hall of Fame vote. And I'm not going to ask you who you're voting for. That's wrong. But take me into the room and what that's like. Because, for example, let's take a guy like Ray Guy, first punter. To some fans, that's an obvious one. But, you know, you could sit there from our era that you and I grew up in and say, hey, look, Gerald Wilson's numbers are, are, are comparable. So take us into what it's like to, to know that out, to get it down to five. Uh, it's it's impossible. I, I was on uh, with somebody in Phoenix this week, Steve, and they said, well, does Kurt Warner get your vote? And I said, well, that's not really the question to ask. If... if if the if the question is do I support Kurt Warner for the Hall of Fame, the answer is yes. Now he's a very difficult case because he sort of has this big donut hole in the middle of his career, but I think he has one of the most fascinating, compelling, borderline great careers in the history of the NFL, all things considered. So yes, I, I favor him going into the Hall of Fame. However, 
you know, we've got 15 modern era finalists. So the way this works is everyone's case is discussed in the room, and then the 48 voters will vote for their 10, their top 10 in that group. And then there might be a little bit more discussion, but after the 10 are announced, then we vote to get to a five, uh, we, get, we vote to go to five. So the hardest decisions, far and away, are always when you have to trim to, from 10 to five. Uh, because I walk in there almost every time we do this, and I've done it for 27 years. Almost every time I look at the list and I say, man, there's more than five Hall of Famers on this list. And so I, I always feel like, I always feel like I know maybe one or two, but I, I don't really have a great handle on it this year. But, but, but sort of getting back to, getting back to your question, I mean, you know, if we take Warner as an example for this year, right. if you looked at, if if I got a final 10 list in front of me and I pick four guys and now the fifth one comes down to Kurt Warner, let's say Tony Baselli and Brian Dawkins, that becomes the question. I might think all three of them are Hall of Famers, but now I got to pick one. Right. So let's say I pick Dawkins. That doesn't mean I don't think Warner is. It just means that, you know, you can pick five, and, and he wasn't one of my best five, uh, you know, after the vote in this meeting. Okay, then the game will come up itself. You were at the Falcons-Packers game uh, and wrote a compelling piece on Matt, uh, on Matt Ryan, especially the guy that had to step in after Mike, Michael Vick. What strikes you now about the maturity of the game with which Matt Ryan plays right now? You know, he's he's this kind of guy who, you know, I'll give you a little a little scene about Matt Ryan. He's he's perhaps the most polite player in NFL history, and I'll I'll tell you what I mean. I walk up to him after the game. Obviously, there's there's throngs of people in the locker room, and I just wait for a moment while he is uh, he's still got most of his uniform on. This is, you know, I don't know, five minutes after he's come in from the celebration on the field, and he's sitting there. He's he's starting to take his stuff off, and uh, and I see him, and we and I, I mean I've known him since draft day, uh, so and I just say, hey, congratulations. Just, and his first words are, Peter, you finally came to one of our games, man. This is great. Usually, I, you know, I mean, I'm maybe talking to you on the phone during the week or whatever. He said, hey, great that you came to the game. And, you know, but that's, but that's who he is. He's, he's polite. He notices. He, you know. And so, so I think that, I think that what, a, what a team wants in its starting quarterback, I think they want a steadiness. And I think they want to know what they're getting every off season, what they're getting every day. And <clears throat> here's a guy whose game itself has been, to me, improved 15% probably by his association with Kyle Shanahan. And uh, and so to me, I look at I look at him, and his 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 football is improved. But the one thing that his team has always known is that 
we know that this guy is going to be here before everybody else. He's going to leave after everybody else. And we know that he's always going to be uber prepared. And, you know, that was something that they never really knew with Vic. Vic was a uh, he wasn't what anybody would call a football junkie. You know, if he had a day off, he was almost always on the plane home to uh, see his family in Virginia and to hang out in Virginia. And so, you know, he just he was never what you would call sort of all in. And I think that's one of the things now that the Falcons think that they're lucky to have with Matt Ryan. Well, the guy on the other side, everybody knows. Uh, and the first, my first exposure to him was the 1999 game here, broadcasting it here. And Penn State's up 10 with six minutes to go. And Tom Brady naturally rallies Michigan with two touchdowns last six minutes. Um, still recovering from the pain, but that's all right. Uh, <laughs> Tom Brady, when Bill O'Brien was here for two years, he gave me an insight because obviously I, I talked to Bill a lot when he was here. And one night we're doing the coaches show together, and some fan made some offhand remark, well, Brady's a guy you didn't have to coach. And he went on to ask a question about Matt McCoy, and Bill really bristled at that. I mean, quietly, but bristled. Uh, that brings up the point of coachability. You have spent a lot of time with Peyton Manning. You've been around Tom Brady. What is it about their coachability that they understand who the coach is and who the player is? You know, we just had a story at, at, at my site, the MMQB, last week by Jenny Varentis, who's a Penn State grad. And uh, she, she had a great story about the coachability of Tom Brady. And it was all about how, and the best, best example, you know, from that story that tells you everything you need to know about Brady is that uh, Randy Moss's first day as a, as a Patriot in a minicamp in 2006, or 2007 rather, um, Belichick is up in front of the room and he's showing video uh, that he wanted everybody to, to see and some messages he wanted to send out. The first play is a play from, uh, from Brady from the AFC Championship game when they lost to Indianapolis. And it was a horrible throw. It was just a, a bad throw by Brady. It fell incomplete. And Belichick is standing up there, and he says, hey, here's our great quarterback who's throwing the ball like Johnny Foxborough. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so Randy Moss, Dante Stallworth is the one who told this story. They're in camp, and they're looking at each other like, holy crap. Here's a guy who's won the Super Bowl three times, and his coach is talking to him like he's a third-string quarterback. And that's the way it is for Brady. And, and, and look, I know this is going to sound, people are going to say this is too goody two-shoes because it sounds like it. But I just, I know Brady pretty well, and Brady wants the coaches to kill him. And he wants the coaches to, to tell him what he's doing wrong. And, uh, and that's one of the, I'm telling you, one of the reasons why Josh McDaniels is still there is because he just thinks that he is in an incredible place at an incredible time. And, and you know, I think he's going to go one day when there's a good offer, maybe with a good quarterback. But in general, I think that McDaniels basically feels like uh, I, I'm 40 years old, I'll have a shot, but I'll never be able to duplicate being able every day to coach a guy like Tom Brady. 
over time, you know, you come out of school and you get into writing, you cover teams, you're around Bill Parcells at one point in your career, Peter. But over time with this, because of the changing technology and what people uh, devour now, you've had to adapt. And you've adapted. What did it take for you to adapt, whether it was online with MMQB? Uh, what did it take for you to do that and how easy was that? Um, I mean, it's, I think, Steve, you know, I started writing this column, Monday Morning Quarterback, on this new thing that we were all getting used to called the Internet in 1997. I mean, I basically just barely knew what a website was. I basically hardly knew what the Internet was. But they asked me to write this column with whatever I had left over from my Sports Illustrated stuff for that week. So I did it. And at first it was eight or 900 words a week. It was no big deal. And then after a while, it started to grow. And uh, now it's, you know, it's a lot longer than that, seven or 8,000 words every week. But I think one of the things in our business today is that nobody knows how uh, the next generation of, let's say, Nittany Lions are going to consume their news, either sports news or otherwise. Are they just going to, you know, like I get up, I live in New York City, so I read a couple of papers every day, and I read the papers. I read the New York Times, and I'm reading at least one of the tabloids every day to see what's going on. And so, in essence, I'm... I'm a dinosaur. I'm 59 years old, and I'm a dinosaur. And my whole thought about this and about uh, about this whole business is, uh, you know, our job really as as journalists, as columnists, as reporters of sports news should be to try to figure out, okay, we're going to be reporters, but we also should try to figure out how people out there are going to consume the the news and so if they're going to consume it on the internet well i want to write the best column on the internet if they're going to consume it in video then i want to start learning uh you know the ins and outs of doing video i remember we were going to start this in 2013 and i remember being with roger goodell and just telling him hey this is what we're doing goodell is a is a huge um you know new media junkie you know, he tries to figure out where the media is going. And I, I remember, you know, I basically am fishing around for what do you think? What's What do you think is important now about, about the web? And he goes, I've told people at NFL Network, no videos longer than two minutes. I want everything short because that's what people want to consume. People do not stick with videos beyond 90 seconds or two minutes unless they're absolutely, totally compelling. So... You know, Steve, I'm just trying to, honestly, I'm just trying to to learn and, and to track where the business is going so I can stay relevant before they kick me out of it. Right. That's what we're all trying to do, Peter. All of us are doing that. One final question that I'll let you go, and I really appreciate the time. And that sure. is dealing with, with access. Um, yeah, access is so controlled. Yeah, you talked about, look, you know Brady somewhat. Yeah, everyone knows I'm reading it. You know, you know Peyton Manning pretty well. How difficult is it to now try and do the job when access is so controlled? Uh, you know, Steve, I'll tell you a story that you'll you'll appreciate because it's about somebody from Penn State. All right, so this week on Tuesday, 
we had a, a huge story about Aaron Andrews, and uh, it was a story basically about how Aaron Andrews, her first comments, detailed comments about uh, her trial in Nashville with this guy who uh, videotaped her through a peephole in a hotel, and and in the middle of it, uh, telling this story, you find out, wow, Aaron Andrews has cervical cancer. And so you say, holy cow, that's, that's terrible. So anyway, this story sort of exploded on Tuesday. It was everywhere. Everybody picked it up, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, so the woman who wrote the story is Emily Kaplan. She's 25 years old. She, said, she graduated from Penn State, I think, three, three and a half years ago. Yep. And she's been on our staff for a couple of years. She covered a lot of the late Paterno stuff uh, when she was working for uh, the Collegian. And, and so, so I think, and so, but anyway, my point is that, that that is a story that anybody in the business would have wanted to have. So you ask, why did a 25-year-old kid get this story and she got the story because she met Aaron last year doing a story on 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 how Fox does a football game she didn't know her that well but she met her uh you know and got to know her a little bit and you know she got her number kept in touch a little bit and I woke up one day last May Steve and I was reading in the paper all about this stuff with this trial in Nashville where they're trying to convict this guy for um, you know videotaping Aaron Andrews and so it's a really emotional trial it's on the front page of all the papers and everything so I got in touch with Emily I said hey Emily go to Nashville and go get Aaron Andrews to tell you what's going through her mind now or go try to do this and she couldn't do it at the time because Andrews wasn't going to talk but she kept in touch and she kept talking to her and I you know I just told her you know that's your story you have to get that story and Emily worked at it she probably had 15 contacts with her in the last five or six months and so it finally got to the point where Aaron agreed to tell her story through Emily um, you know instead of telling it anywhere else so the bottom line in this is some reporting work is still trying to babysit a story trying to tell people why you think that we would be the best place for her to tell her story and all that so that's kind of a, a good story about you know the journalist at Penn State uh, you know is turning out and also just a story about the way journalists even though you know the business has changed drastically you know it still is all about how uh, you know in my opinion anyway uh, it's still so much about uh, the basic stuff that it's been around been about for a long long time Peter absolute pleasure appreciate it great great respect for your work as always and uh, we hope to get you back again at some other time because I really enjoyed it hey happy to do it Steve all the best to you thanks a lot for having me on Peter King Sports Illustrated has carved out a great career a great career and before we know it we will get Peter King's training camp reports and his prediction for the next Super Bowl, you know, because that has to happen before the season starts. But of course, before training camp begins, Peter King has been on vacation over in Ireland and had a chance to see U2 over the weekend. U2 has been touring 
in support and in connection to the 30th anniversary of the Joshua Tree, which, of course, was in the spring of 1987 when that was released. Best of the Steve Jones Show here, News Radio 1070 WKOK. Sean Carey here for Steve Jones. And he mentioned Michael Vick in that conversation a few moments ago since we uh, had Peter on before this year's Super Bowl between Atlanta and the New England Patriots. And he mentioned Michael Vick, and he was talking about, you know, how Michael Vick was, you know, his time, you know, how he conducted himself you know, during his time with the Falcons compared to Matt Ryan. Well, we just found this out a little while ago. Michael Vick is going to be joining the Kansas City Chiefs, no, not as a player, but as an intern, as a coach. So he is back in the NFL. Andy Reid is giving Michael Vick his first shot at coaching. And, of course, Vick played under Reid in Philadelphia from 2009 to 2012. He is now searching as uh, he is now serving as one of the coaching interns for the Kansas City Chiefs. And this coming off uh, 24 hours uh, after the Kansas City Chiefs announcing that Mount Carmel native Brett Veach is the new general manager of Kansas City. All right, we got a local news update in just a few with Matt Catrillo, and then we'll wrap up today's best of Steve Jones show with the old two niner Phil Bork, color analyst for the Pittsburgh Penguins radio network. He's up soon on WKOK. City blocks of new Ford trucks. Over 40,000 trucks sold. SMC is where you want to be. Sunbury Motors Ford has over 110 new Ford trucks. And during July, they'll include a complimentary accessory package with the purchase of any new F-150. Through July 31st, receive a tonneau cover, molded splash cars, and window deflectors at no additional charge. SMC is where you want to be because they have the largest selection of new Ford trucks in all of central Pennsylvania. And that means the biggest savings. Take up to 30 $13,500 off on new F-150s. And SMC has them starting as low as $23,919. Save up to seven grand on 2017 Ford Escapes. And they're slashed as low as $19,380. Explorers, Edges, and Expeditions have discounts up to eleven grand. SMC is where you want to be in July. For this mega summer spectacular sale and the complimentary F-150 accessory package. Sunbury Motors in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury. F-150 accessory package valued at $6.99. Excludes fire sales and ordered units. Talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. to the Steve Jones Show, News Radio 1070 WKOK. Steve enjoying a well-deserved week off. Back with us next Tuesday. Sean Carey, we're here in the Sunbury Motors studio. Sunbury Motors, Ford, Lincoln, Hyundai, in the North 4th Street Auto Plaza, Sunbury, and Sunbury Motors, Kia. On the strip, routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf. The old two-niner, Phil Bork, uh, who's on with Hockey Hall of Famer Mike Lang on the Pittsburgh Penguins Radio Network. Had a chance to speak with him a little over a month ago after the Pittsburgh Penguins winning their back-to-back -back, uh, Stanley Cup championships. So we will have uh, Phil and Steve's conversation in a few. But first off, our sports bozo of the day. Henry Romero. He's on the El Salvador national soccer team. Suspended six games 
for biting an American player last week during the Gold Cup. Romero bit U.S. forward Josie Aldador during a weird match last week and resulted in a 2-0 win over the, uh, for the USA. And it wasn't even caught during the match. CONCACAF officials had to find it on replay and levied the punishments. Another player on the El Salvador team got a three-game suspension. And also, Romero was caught by cameras twisting Aldador's nipple later in the match on a set piece. Ball was going toward the goalie, Tim Howard. And uh, Altador is just the wrong place, the wrong time. But <laughs> that's just conduct that, uh, I mean, that he, guy should just got a flat-out straight red card. Should have been thrown out of the game. And they, they should have been two or three players down last week. And that game was played in Philadelphia at Lincoln Financial Field. Now, Team USA, they faced Costa Rica over the weekend and won that match 2 to nothing. And they will go for the Gold Cup Championship tomorrow night. It is... Team USA, no, they're not going to be taking on Mexico. It turns out in the other semifinal over the weekend, Jamaica, the reggae boys, knocked out Mexico. And you pretty much had everybody in the Rose Bowl pro-Mexico Sunday night watching that. And New York Red Bulls defender Kimar Lawrence breaking their hearts with a winner in the 88th minute. So it is Jamaica and Team USA for the Gold Cup tomorrow night. But just kind of file this away. Jamaica defeated the United States in 2015 in a Gold Cup semifinal. That was one of the more shocking defeats in the Jurgen Klinsmann Klinsmann era. Of course, uh, Jurgen no longer leading the team. It is Bruce Arena back in charge. The team that's been in charge in the National Hockey League for the last two consecutive years, the Pittsburgh Penguins, back-to-back Stanley Cup titles and a color analyst for the Pittsburgh Penguins. Radio Network was on with us last month. Phil Bork, the old two-niner. Phil, it's an absolute pleasure. First time you've been with us. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me on. I mean, uh, there's so much to talk about with uh, what's happened with the Penguins, and a uh, real pleasure to be on your show. Looking forward to Well, let's talk about how, th- how this was done. Last year, they were able to do it by the call-ups from Scranton-Wilkesbury that they gave them the extra depth, gave them more speed. Every team's its own entity and has its own personality. What, in the end, distinguished this team from maybe a couple of others that you've seen? Well, I think a little more of the same. I mean, you saw the youth again shining brightly, uh, you know, especially Jake Gensel and the way he played. Nobody saw that coming. We heard about this kid, and we heard he was a good college player, but he had no idea that he was going to make a splash like he did, not only in the regular season, but especially in the playoffs, where a lot of young kids uh, can come up and, and have you know, 10, 15 game blocks where they're running off adrenaline, but the reality hits them come playoff time. And in this case, Gensel is not overwhelmed by the situation at all. And there's Matt Murray again. Matt Murray comes in and relief of Mark Rondi Fleury after Fleury comes in and relief of Matt Murray. Uh, it's just, it's just the penguiny way. You know, you kind of, you have to chuckle a little bit because you think about, yeah, last year you had the HBK line and, and that, and Phil Kessel was pretty consistent throughout, but this year it, seemed like it, it was a lot more difficult. Penguins had to go through uh, tougher opponents, uh, more physical series, but that's the heart of a champion, to, to find a way. Sometimes uh, you win ugly, but you don't get bonus points for winning ugly or win to win. 
felt last year that you could have made an argument if you wanted for Chris Letang for the Conn Smythe. I mean, Crosby was the right choice, but I think you could have made that argument. Now they had to go through the stretch run of the regular season, Phil, and then the playoffs without him. How were the Penguins able to make up for that? One guy can't do it, so how did they make up for not having a guy who is that offensively effective with defensive skills? Well, you're exactly right. I can't remember the last time a team won the Stanley Cup without that, you know, star defense and that one guy that was a game breaker. They didn't really have that guy. I mean, uh, Justin Schultz had a couple of big moments. Uh, Ole Matter had some good games, some bad games. Uh, Brian Dumoulin and Ian Cole were the two most consistent defensemen. But the answer to your question is just with their depth, just with everybody kind of pulling up their bootstraps and giving 10% more. And I think the Penguins uh, defenseman as a core. I think they kind of relished the fact that everybody was counting the, the whole team out and discounting them as uh, NHL defensemen. But when Chris Letang went out, I, I, I don't think there was one so-called expert that said, man, I still like the Penguins' chances. I think they all said, they're done. There's no way. This group of defensemen that they have uh, just can't fill that void. Well, they filled the void uh, very admirably. Uh, and as I mentioned, they were under duress a lot. Uh, they were plastered against the boards in the Columbus series, as well as the Washington series, maybe the Ottawa series, and Nashville weren't as physical, but still demanding on that group. And, you know, Jacques Martin, the runs of defenseman, did a really good job of just balancing everything out. You look at the minutes played, they're all right around 20 minutes. So that tells me that they trusted, whether it was a Ron Hainsey or whoever was in there, uh, as a depth defenseman. They trusted them, they played them. And I think that paid dividends at the end because nobody had to carry a heavier ball than, than the other guy. Uh, and I think they're, they're damn proud of the job they did considering everybody counting them out. Phil, you mentioned Jacques Martin along with Rick Tockett and, of course, the guy that runs it, Mike Sullivan. In order to do what they do, you have to have a real feel for this. What is it about Mike Sullivan and his feel for the game where he not only makes between-game adjustments but appears to make yeah. some in-game adjustments? Yeah, there's not another coach in the league that can make in-game adjustments the way he can. Uh, it's just knowing your players. Part of it's just having a sixth sense, just having a gut instinct and going with that gut, so being brave enough to listen to that little voice inside your head, whether it's taking a timeout at the right time or, or dialing a guy down because he's not playing his best or, or putting a guy in the lineup or giving him more minutes, I should say, when he is going. Mike Sullivan's the best at that as well as game-to-game -game, uh, adjustments that he makes. He's not afraid to swap his, uh, change his lineup even after a win. Some coaches are are just hell-bent on staying with the same guys. And you know what I think of these guys? That once he came in as a head coach, he established a certain standard. And I think especially with the star players, uh, this is the way it's going to be, that you're not going to be easy to play against. Teams are not going to be able to push your buttons. You're not going to be undisciplined like you were in the past and do it your way. I know your way won for you in 2009, but you had some pretty bad series against Philadelphia, against Boston, because you were trying to do it your way. We're going to do it my way. And he didn't really care if he got fired or not doing it. He knew the team would win. Uh, and that conviction that he had, as well as being an outstanding communicator, I think it went a long way with the star players, which usually trickles down to the rest of the boys. You mentioned the star players. Uh, I've always felt that in the biggest games, the biggest moments, your stars have to be your stars. What has allowed Crosby and Malkin to continue to thrive despite the fact that they get incredible attention every time they step on the ice? 
because it's Crosby and Malkin. It's not just Crosby or just Malkin. Right. Good point. Uh, you know, the, Good point. Yeah, the teams, uh, they, they feed off of that. They realize that there, are, there aren't many teams, if any team, that can shut down both of them. That you can load up and probably feel good about yourself, but hey, we shut down Sid tonight, and then Gino kills you. We shut down Gino, Sid kills you. And, and if you shut, you have the, the the amazing night, almost a perfect night, and you shut both of them down, then maybe it's a, a Shiri or or a Benino or or somebody like that or a Kunitz or somebody is is, is dinging you, and you're like, and, that, and that's demoralizing. And I think that's why the Penguins have won eight straight series over the last two years. Is is the is the depth, and I think that takes the pressure off Crosby and Malkin. That going into specific games, they don't feel like I have to score, I have to score, I have to score, I have to be the guy. They realize if the team's going to win, they have to play their best. They realize they have to put up points. They they realize all that, but, but that's not perfect. That's just the expectations they have of themselves. But I think in years past, they may be overwhelmed by the pressure and the responsibility that they had to be the guys. They don't have to be the guys every single night. Most nights they do if you want to win a Stanley Cup. But to know that if I have a bad night, somebody else can win the game for us uh, has to be quite refreshing. You understand the grind of the regular season, and you understand the grind of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Explain to all of us mentally what it takes to somehow negotiate all of that. Yeah, well, the best way for me to explain it to you in a short few words is it's the most difficult thing I ever did in my life, but also the most satisfying. Uh, right. and, and what does that mean? Um, as physically demanding it is, uh, because you, you test yourself in ways nothing else in this world. There isn't another job on the planet that will test you physically like the Stanley Cup playoffs, because it's pretty much every single night. That you battle through pain that you, you really don't know when you wake up in the morning how you are going to play a hockey game. But somehow you find something in the middle of your core uh, that gets you through it and is able to subside that pain for two and a half hours or whatever it is. That's the, that's the physical part. Equally as tough is the mental and the emotional part because your concentration has to be so on point for every second. The emotional part is the stress. Um, the outside distractions, um, you know, the media, uh, you know, maybe pumping your tires, getting you too high, or if you have a bad game, they're ripping you and you're down too low. So there's that emotional part. But you add in the, the physical, the mental, and the emotional, it's, it's even when you're asleep in a dead sleep with the REM going, the whole thing, you're still thinking about the game. You're still thinking about your responsibility. That's incredibly taxing physically and just wears you out. That's why when you see guys raise the Stanley Cup, they barely have the, the, um, enough strength to put 35 pounds of silver over your head because you're just completely drained and exhausted. And there was also the addition this year of the grind of playing the World Cup of Hockey. So it was the additional sure. month. The Penguin players did not have a lot of time off between the end of last season. Then they had to play the World Cup of Hockey, then play the regular season, then play the Stanley Cup. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll be honest with you. I, I I understand that, but especially if you're like a guy like Sid Crosby and you're winning those tournaments and you're winning Stanley Cups, that's that's energizing. You know, you're not. I mean, you're yeah. not winning or losing triple overtime games where it just knocks the stuffing out of you like you got sucker punched. Uh, you know, so you know, Sid is well conditioned enough. He gets his rest. He lives his life the right way. Um, you know, he, he's not out abusing his body at night 
So I think that because of that, and a lot of other guys in the team are like that, that I don't think this is as taxing as we all think it is. I think that they're energized by it, they're driven by it, and like I said, this is a team that's built off of depth. So nobody has to carry that much heavier load than anybody else, and I think that's why this team is so fresh. And also, they've got a coach that uh, is really good at the uh, work-to-rest ratio. Uh, you know, you, you know how to work with teammates. What's it been like working with a teammate like Mike Lang? The best. Absolutely the best. I love the guy. Like he's family. Uh, one of my big, I've said this before, one of my biggest regrets as a player is not taking the time to get know, to know Mike Lang, the broadcaster. I was so worried about myself and just kind of, you know, did my own thing. I, I mean, Mike and I interacted, but not as much as we do now. Um, I call him all the time. We go out for, for beers. We go down to the casino and we have a little fun. I mean, uh, we just have so much in common, uh, mutual respect for each other. He pushes me. I push him in a healthy way. Um, and uh, the way he calls a game is an absolute treat. There's times where I catch myself, you know, just getting kind of daydreaming and just kind of listening to him and not really watching the game because I just think he's, he's the best in the game. And, uh, you know, I'll be honest with you, who knows how much longer we're going to have with him. He's starting to get up there in age, and, you know, his health isn't the, the best, best. But, you know, I think we should just kind of thank our lucky stars that we have a Mike Lang to listen to because he is the best in the game, and who knows how much longer we're going to have him. Good points, and he is the best in the game. Uh, I want to ask you just very quickly, each team brings its own entity, its own personality, because personnel changes. And personnel's about to change again because the expansion draft is coming up. So I want to ask you, as somebody who's been around for uh, to every uh, market, how interested are you about the Las Vegas quote experiment? Um, I'm very interested. I think they're going to have a good team. I think a lot of people are, are thinking they're, they're not going to have a good team. And it's just, it sure does seem like Mark Rundy Fleury is going there. But I don't think it's a foregone conclusion that he's going to stay there. Uh, I mean, it wouldn't shock me if if uh, Vegas took him in the draft, in the expansion draft, and then possibly moved him for, for something more. I think there'll be a lot of goaltenders available, pretty good goaltenders, and I think they'll have a good team. I think if they do have Mark Rundy Fleury in that, I wouldn't be shocked if they made it to the playoffs their first year, obviously as a 7th or 8th seed, but I think they're going to have a pretty good team. I think a lot of people are discounting them. I think there's going to be good players available because of the salary cap and the situation and the parameters of the expansion draft. And So I think that it's going to be really interesting when the list comes out. I think some players might be a little bit chafed, if you know what I mean, uh, if they're on that list to be taken. But, hey, that's sports. You know, that's pro sports. That's why you're compensated so handsomely is because of situations like this where, you know, sometimes life's not fair. Sometimes pro sports aren't fair, but um, that's the way things go. But uh, there'll be changes for the Penguins, uh, hopefully not too many. Uh, pretty sure Matt Cullen's going to retire. I don't want to lose Nick Benino. But guys like Trevor Daly, Ron Hainsey, who knows, maybe Chris Kunitz could all be gone come September. Phil, an absolute pleasure. Really appreciate the time and the insight as well. We enjoyed it very, very much. Yeah, likewise. I enjoyed it, too. Anytime uh, we could talk Penguin talk, yeah, I enjoy it. Anytime you uh, need me, call me back. And this was Good Hockey Talk.